Welcome back to another episode of the Hello Blink Show. On this episode, Harris and I discuss the differences between SEO, SERP, and what tools you might use to create better content for your products, services, and site. Let's jump in. Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. Hello, Harris. It's just you and me today. So what's going on in your world? What's new? Lots going on. Some personal stuff, some work stuff. Obviously, all the... You got a baby on the way. I was going to say, yeah, there's all this stuff going on in the world, but there's a lot going on under my roof. Baby's coming. Um, And unless she comes early, uh, she will not be out by the time this episode comes out. But uh, we're due in mid-September, and we're in the final sprint. I've Actually, you know, on the hardware side, we talk a lot about about hardware here. I was doing some non-electronics, traditional hardware work, uh, refurbishing uh, the extension into an office and getting the nursery ready and doing a remodel on the bathroom. And so all of those things are coming to a close, which is a huge relief because it's that's been a a big push the last couple of months, getting everything ready for her. And yeah, man, that's the that's that's what's going on personal life wise. And everything else is to support that, basically. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. What's going on in Sean world? Oh, goodness. Uh, a number of things. I've been project wise, I've been working on getting the Hadouken thing going. I've got it working on a Raspberry Pi, but it's really trying to get it down to a microcontroller. And I've been working with Jay and Alex. So uh, at Odd Jay and Alex Glow from Hackster, um, trying to get wake words, their custom wake words working for their robot companion. So it's a two pronged approach of trying to get Hadouken running on a microcontroller as well as assisting two other makers to make their own wake words and in the process release a whole bunch of tools um, to help people out. That's that's where that's going, which is I think it's super cool. And then the other thing is, you know, I just read Rework. I know you're a big fan of Rework. Um, I feel like we can have like several episodes talking about the things in there and dissecting it. It's a short, short book, um, distilled a lot of knowledge. I really enjoyed it. Um, highly recommend it as well. It's a good book. And now I'm on Sapiens, which I'm gonna have to come back. I'm gonna have to come back to <laughs> to, to like really digest in what's going on in that book. That's a fun one. Um, interesting. Well, you're on both ends of the spectrum there. So oh. you know the the rework and DHH and Jason Freed. You know they are all about the bootstrapped independent companies. And then as far as I can tell, Sapiens is like required reading for every venture capitalist. So you really have a very diverse intellectual diet that you're exposing yourself to. I'm trying. I mean, Sapiens right now, like, I don't know, I'm about a third of the way through it. It's a, like, history of humankind. And, you know, the goods, the bads. Um, The author does a pretty good job of taking in all different theories about how culture has evolved and presenting those. So, so far, I'm enjoying it. There's been a few cases where he tries to give anecdotal evidence to prove something. And I'm a little iffy on that without some other things backing it up. But for the most part, he's pretty good about compiling scientific evidence and presenting it in a digestible manner. I haven't read it yet, but if you're reading it, I know a lot of smart people have liked it. I'm a spoiler alert for the listeners of this show. I am not a huge reader of books. I tend to read like articles and listen to podcasts and things like that, which I don't think you're supposed to say out loud because I think smart people read. And if you say you don't read a lot, then people assume you're dumb. I just haven't been able to like carve a lot of time out for reading books. 
but, uh, but I've heard a lot of good things about this book. I tend to just get my content in other ways, but you're a huge reader. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to agree and say, I try to burn through books, but I don't read. Um, I'm actually awful at reading. I have a really hard time focusing on, on individual pages. Um, and audiobooks have been my absolute savior. Um, so rather than just you listen to a lot of podcasts, just re- replace podcast with an audible subscription. And then you go, you're like, Oh, I'm reading all these books. And like, reality i don't listen to a ton of podcasts i listen to a ton of audible there you go okay so that's how you fit it in and do you do that when you're like working on projects like soldering and stuff you listen to books or when like when do you get or doing dishes like when do you get your book read slash listening time in uh those those exact things you just listed um chores great time right i'm gonna go clean the bathroom just pop in some bluetooth headphones and you know, that's that's an hour you knock out of a book or Hmm. doing dishes like if you have a pile of dishes like you know, I've got my Alexa and I just go, hey, hey, Alexa, play my audiobook. And it just starts playing where I left off. It's freaking cool. Well, everything's synced together. Um, if I go for a run outside, it's been too hot in Louisiana and I don't want to be near people not wearing masks. So I haven't done it in a while. But going for a run, that's another 45 minutes knocked out of a book. Um, yeah. Or like you said, like soldering. Any, if I'm going to like program or write something or something that requires like the language portion of my brain, I cannot listen to an audiobook or a podcast at the same time. Hmm. Hell, I can't even listen to songs with lyrics in them and like write code. Like that just doesn't work for me. Um, yeah. So, so anytime that's like, you know, I'm doing something with my hands, I'm going for a run, driving somewhere, like if I'm driving up, driving up to my parents to, you know, go for dinner or something, that, they're 30, 45 minutes away. So I throw on a podcast, sorry, a podcast or an audiobook. And that's, you know, another chunk done. And I find I'm getting through books in like one or two weeks that way. Yeah. It's like, if you put it on, if you put on a book while you've got, while you're doing chores, you'll find you'll knock out books really fast. Yeah. Well, I'm obviously crestfallen to learn that you're not just constantly re-listening to episodes of Hello Blink Show. <laughs> I mean, I love my own content, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> this this betrayal aside, uh, this makes sense. And in case people are wondering if this is scripted, it is not. We are just kind of talking on the fly here. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely want to. I want to figure out how to get my read time up. I listen to the history of Rome podcast, like over 140 episodes of that while I was doing the work on the house. But a lot of times if I'm doing work, you know, I I'll do instrumental stuff. We've talked about like the lo-fi YouTube channels and Spotify channels and stuff like that. I like get into like flamenco or, uh, you know, instrumental stuff is, is definitely a go-to for me. So it's kind of like one end of the spectrum or the other, either it's like heavy verbal content or it's like a dense podcast or there's like no words at all. And it's just kind of like ambient, type music yeah no that's that's yeah same for me it's it's either like electronica music uh like like uh what is it like trip hop or or video game music or instrumental um interestingly enough i don't listen to a lot of like jazz um i save that for dancing time (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's funny with jazz i like jazz but i like miles davis i like um I'm not like a jazz purist. I feel like the jazz, you ever, you ever watch parks and recreation. They have that bit where they talk about jazz on jazz. And it's like, the, <laughs> it's like the Pawnee public radio or whatever playing like two different jazz tracks. And it's like total like cacophony and it's like very chaotic and noisy and stuff. And it's like, there's like the jazz pure jazz where they're like freestyling and like exploring lots of different things. And they'll sort of like go somewhere with a saxophone for 15 minutes like I understand that that is jazz in its purest form, but I do like the Miles Davis type stuff where there's just like a little less going on. Um, 
versus like the jazz lounge with the people just sort of like boop, 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 kind of going nuts and having fun with it. And I know that's probably more fun for performers and probably for like pure students of that genre. Um, but in general, my music is usually like pretty simple. Yeah. I, I find that the re- repetitive rhythmic stuff works better when I'm working, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The simpler, sometimes the simpler, the better. If it's just, you know, e- easier to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I'm not like paying attention if it's like something more complex. Like I feel like if I were at a concert, I would probably enjoy something that's like more live and sort of freestyling kind of thing. But anyway, this is not a music podcast. We can talk about that for, we can talk about music forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, let's jump, let's jump into SERP. Um, This is one of my favorite topics. I think that SERP is vastly underrated um, because all you hear about is SEO, 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 right? If you're into the world of creating content, all you hear about is you need to make sure you have got great SEO. And the problem I run into with SEO is that it doesn't give you a number for success. It doesn't give you any sort of metric. Um, You can throw your site through SEO tools. You can run SEO on a particular page. There's great tools, there's plugins, and it'll kind of give you a scoring to be like, you you did good SEO or you did bad SEO. But ultimately, it's it's one of these like BS metrics that's like, oh, I did great SEO. And you're like, am I reaching the right people? SEO doesn't answer that. I got to interrupt you really quick. Yeah. I'm an engineer. I've spent my whole life in SolidWorks. I live and breathe parametric modeling and KiCad or KiCad, however you say it. What is SEO? What oh, is SERP? What are we not- even talking about? I did not even define my acronyms. Um, so SEO is search engine optimization. And if you've been around the marketing world for a while, you, you will probably have heard this term a bunch. And S- search engine optimization says that how you construct your content, you know, most of the time this applies to written, written things like blogs, tutorials, product pages, how you structure that, the words you use, how you keyword, how you put your keywords in, affects how well something like Google or other search engines indexes your page, right? So all these search engines, Google, Yahoo, Bing, they all look at through your pages, they crawl through your pages, and they say, they try to figure out what your content is about, so that when somebody searches for something, right, say, I'm looking for, well, you know, we talked to Jonathan on this show, and say, I'm searching for a, um, either a logic analyzer or a host adapter, right? And I search for host adapter, and Google goes, well, what pages do I show the person searching for host adapter? And, you know, Bino, if they did a good job with SEO, Google understands that, oh, this page relates to host adapters. So I should show this page on my search results. And SEO, search engine optimization, are the tools and techniques. It's a bunch of, it's a collection of a bunch of little tools and, and tips you can do to your page to make it rank higher when somebody searches on um, searches for host adapter. Does that make sense for SEO? That makes perfect sense for SEO. And let me ask one deeper question on that slightly deeper. There's like white hat, black hat, or whatever the right term is. There's like good, bad SEO, right? There's like the, the, the positive sense you outlined, which is like, you just put together these things so that search engines can understand what's happening, but there's also like trickery. And so we're not going to talk about that we're just going to be totally above board because if you do the, there's SEO tricks and ways to try to trick Google, but it's always this um, like whack-a-mole or cat and mouse thing. And whenever they catch people doing tricks and ways of sort of stuffing keywords and stuff like that, 
they will usually penalize and punish pretty heavily for those things, right? Yeah. I mean, if you go back to the late 90s, if you remember like your GeoCities sites and people would just keyword stuff things, like you'd scroll down and you'd see all these words at the bottom of a page that were um, the same color as the background and you could highlight them to see them and it'd be like, why is this huge blank spot? And it was just people keyword stuffing, right? They would keyword stuff everything because back in the day, search engines used to just look for very particular words when you search for words. And that's how you would rank more highly um, up in search engine results is keyword stuffing, just like you said. And keyword stuffing is an old trick that did work, but it kind of goes against the spirit of things, right? I mean, you could have a, a blog about ponies and then you keyword stuff resistors in it. And so you'd show up with resistors. And you're like, this has nothing to do with what I was searching for. So over the years, like this whole idea of whack-a-mole, like you're talking about over the years, search engines have gotten more complex. They've evolved more. They've integrated more like AI and machine learning techniques. They are, in today's world, they're ultimately moving towards this idea of um, search intent, right? If I search for horse, they might give me something about ponies because they're related, even if that blog post never actually uses the word horse. But because it's about ponies, Google figures, oh, I might be interested in this or this is good content to show this person because they're talking about how to care for horses or something, right? You know, somebody who's a horse lover is going to be like, they're totally different animals. You, you don't care for them the same way, right? But you go with the idea here. 100%. 100%. Okay. Okay. I, I got SEO. That's a good groundwork. That makes sense. SERP. So SERP is the underrated. It's, it's the underdog. SERP is uh, Search Engine Results Performance. Actually, give me a second to make sure I've got this acronym correct before I... Uh, sorry, Search Engine Results Pages. I always say performance. It's Search Engine Results Pages. I always get those backwards. The, w- the reason this matters is because SERP is an indication of where your page or your site shows up in search engine results when you search for particular keywords, when you search for things, Right? So we'll go back to our, if I type in host adapter, uh, Jonathan hopes that Vino shows up in the first page of Google, right? The higher you are in your search engine results, the more hits your page is going to get, more more than likely. This is generic. Um, There's a, a, a bit of a joke in the marketing world that says, if you're not on the first page of Google results, the first 10 hits, your page basically doesn't exist. And so getting in that first page is hugely important. There is a um, exponential decay graph that kind of shows uh, like your first hit or two gets, you know, 90%. Sorry, your first hit or two on Google, those two pages get like 90% of the hits. And then it tapers off super quickly um, down to like less than 1% after you get to like the second page. Um, Most people don't go to the second page. Um, If you think about next time you search for something, Pay attention to how you click on the links. Um, more often than not, you do not go to that second page. Sometimes you do, but a lot of times you don't. You'll find that I find that I go to second pages more often when I'm searching for like how to do a thing in C, right? Like, oh, how do I cast a thing using a pointer and pass it to a void in a right? Some some like minute detail that somebody only ever covered once on Stack Overflow, and like I have to go through three pages in Google to find it. Absolutely. Um, but more often than not, especially when you're searching for products, you usually go for, you know, page one page, you know, page one, your first like three hits are your mo- most likely. So yep. 
And you may be using even an Amazon to start your search. You may bypass Google or Google just announced this new, uh, they're going to make available for free Google Shopping. It's, a, it's different than what they've had before, which was the shopping tab. It's a way to actually conduct transactions um, through, and, and Google doesn't take a cut of it. Uh, I don't know the mechanics of exactly how it works, but this is, you know, within the last couple of weeks, they just announced this as a, as a new thing. Um, so there's, there's, it's always a shifting landscape and you also have other search engines, whether that's YouTube or Amazon or Bing, uh, obviously in different countries, we're based in the U S but we have listeners now officially in 45 countries around the world. So obviously different countries are going to have different search engines that people rely on, whether that's like Yandex or DuckDuckGo or Baidu or whatever. Um, so anyway, we're US centric here. These principles I think generally apply, but they particularly apply, I think, to, uh, search engines like Google that bring you to other web pages versus search within a commerce platform. Like a, even DigiKey has, you know, search function on its website and tons and tons of products. That's going to be a little different, although maybe some of the principles are the same. Um, I think the search where you're landing and looking for web pages, it's, I think it's a lot more sophisticated than how search would work on like an e-commerce uh, platform, like a, you know, like an Amazon or something like that, because they're just catering to so many different types of searches and so many different types of results. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Um, we're, we're talking specifically about creating content, right? We're under the assumption that content is king, still is king. And if you're trying to advertise your site, then you want to consider creating content on your site that draws people in, right? This is your top of funnel type of marketing where you want to draw people into your site um, for content so that they learn about your product or your service. Um, and so when we're talking about SEO and SERP, we want to talk about either a product page or a blog post or a piece of content that you've created. Um, when it comes to listing on other marketing or marketplaces, I think that's a totally different conversation that we need to have at some point is like, do you list on Amazon? Should you list on Amazon? Um, yep. When it comes to creating a product page on Amazon, Amazon's, you have to cater to how Amazon searches for products. And that is a different ball game than figuring out how Google searches for content. Yep. Right. You want to make sure that you appear with like the prime sticker. You want to make sure that you get, you know, you're going to be listed higher if you get more reviews, right? Like how you cater to that search is very different. Um, right, right now, like, right, like right now the, the, you know, a lot of these Chinese manufacturers are figuring out that number of reviews matters more importantly than almost anything else. So the big thing now, I don't know if you've seen this in the news, but people are receiving these like weird packs of seeds and we couldn't figure it out as like, is this like a bioweapon? Is like China trying to get US people to plant these seeds in their backyards? And like, no, no, no. The, the, the going theory behind what's happening is that these are Amazon vendors trying to game the system. This is that black hat you're talking about. And they are mailing people something that is cheaper than the product they're trying to sell, whether it's like a small piece of electronics. And seeds are cheap and easy and they weigh about the same. So they just ship it through the mail through, to some known address um, that's in the system. It's like a random address. And then they leave a review for themselves, but it looks like somebody else purchased it. And so they do this. So they looks like they have the verified purchaser thing under when you read reviews and Amazon ranks that higher. So this is, this is a, you know, people hacking the Amazon system, right? We're in the age of keyword stuffing, but with physical products right now. Wow. Oh uh, yeah. Envelope stuffing. And yeah. you've also got the search engines themselves. 
that you're combating with. I mean, this has been discussed at length, I feel like, especially over the last year. Search results have changed. They've made it harder to tell what an ad is. There are more ads at the top. Uh, The search experience, as someone who's looking for information, has changed dramatically. So whether it's people sort of up to no good or just the engines themselves changing their business model and how it works. So it's it's not without challenges, but I do think that there's a lot of opportunity here. Um, I feel like the groundwork is laid. Sorry for the little detour, um, but that was very helpful. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Like, bring me back because I'm, I'm assuming that like, oh, everybody knows, has heard of SEO, like, right? I've been in this world so long. So thanks for reminding me that like, oh, right, everyone, you know, a lot of people might be beginners when it comes to understanding what is SEO, what is SERP, and why they're important. Um, And this kind of goes back to a conversation that you and I have had about, you know, are there marketing things you can do? Like, what are the best marketing things you can do? Um, And I I love the idea of like, oh, you know, if you just buy these Google ads, or if you just run this, run this um, contest or something like that, then like, oh, you'll get all these followers. And like, that's, in my experience and the number of people I've talked to that like Google and Facebook ads aren't working for them, especially these smaller startups um, who are trying to sell products. All of them I've talked to and, you know, take my handful of like five people tell me that like they have not gotten their money for Google ads or Facebook ads and, and boosting stuff on Twitter. Like they just don't. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. Now at the same time I have seen and I follow some people that do direct to consumer brands that are more like beauty products, patio furniture, um, cosmetic, uh, not cosmetic, but like, um, you know, like razors and things like that, where it does seem like there are certain types of more transactional ads for like well-established categories where there's like extensive data sets available on the platforms where advertisements do seem to be working in some context for certain types of categories. So the question is like, if you're starting something new, if it's a very technical product, if it's like a B2B product, and especially if it's something that is new to people, you may have a hard time with those traditional channels unless you like really nail the ad copy or you really nail the video and you really can like speak to those people. So I think that for things where there's like more conventional like volume of search and people know what they're buying and they're like, oh, well, I do need a new razor. This one looks good. Um, if you're in that space, I think it's worth more worth thinking about. But if you're doing something different, um, which I think like a lot of people who listen to the show are doing and a lot of people who have been on the show are doing, it's probably a little bit harder. Like if you're a Kia Roberts and, you know, the Tele app that she's introducing, it's like, what is, you know, people probably do searches for like, uh, you can target HR managers on LinkedIn or, you know, uh, and and you, they probably are getting ads from like ADP and Insperity and these PEOs and maybe health insurance companies and things like that. But it, you know, what she's offering is different, very different product. And so you'd really, I think, end up being better off with like referral word of mouth and then content like we're talking about and doing media work like she's doing because people may not, when they see that ad, they may not even really understand the problem that, that her company is solving out of the gate. Um, like they would more easily with uh, something they have a lot of experience with. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, that, yeah, if you're doing like a service, a subscription, or even I've seen ads for software, but it's a little tougher when like you can't like show a picture of it and see yeah. like, oh, go here to shop now, like you can on some of the Google ads. Um, it's just tougher. And then, so even even back when I was working at SparkFun, we did contests, we ran ads, like we, we, we had to to stay competitive. And I, I don't want to get in the numbers. I don't, I don't remember them. 
but I know that it wasn't nearly as good at bringing people into SparkFun as a lot of our more um, uh, natural content or organic growth is what they call it, where people are like searching for a thing and they land on a SparkFun page and then they learn SparkFun exists. Um, content, like one of the biggest things that SparkFun provides as well as Adafruit is their content. And we, we don't see that. We think that they're a provider of parts and a lot of times like, yeah, well, that's how they make their money. But in reality, they also provide just endless amounts of content for people. And that's yeah. one of the biggest things. That's actually, to me, that's what one of their biggest value added is, is their content that they provide. And that's one of their biggest, if not the biggest marketing thing that they have going for them. So if that's organic, then paid ads are like fertilizers? <laughs> Maybe. If, if you have a paid ad that brings somebody into your content, then maybe. But if you have a paid ad that's like, oh, you're searching for a UART to USB adapter, right? And then you, you see the little widget, the little FTDI chip, whatever. And it's like, oh, go to SparkFun's site. Like, it's a very specific thing. I don't know if that's fertilizer. That's like selling the fruit directly at a stand, <laughs> right? You just skip the whole growing process. <laughs> yeah, um, that makes sense. And you built, a, I'll, I'll brag for you, you built a huge audience at SparkFun over the time that you were there. Uh, people still are watching videos that you made like five years ago. That's the other thing about this type of content is that, you know, it's around for a long time. Yeah. And, that, and like, that's the next part I wanted to talk about is how do you, how do you get SERP? How do you do good SERP? Right. And I, I don't think that's good English, but anyway, um, good SERP to me is something that lasts, you know, beyond just a quick ad, a quick social media post. It's, it's a piece of content that you spend some time on that continues to drive traffic to your site. Um, in the marketing world, they call that evergreen content. It's something you write that continues to draw people. And if you think about, you know, I make a social media post, people see it for like 24 hours, sometimes a little more, you know, if they boost it or some people are like browsing through your, your profile page to look at the things you've posted. Sometimes you'll get like a like from something like two years ago. It's rare though. Um, but like, if you, I'm going to bring this up right now, if you search AC versus DC, specifically that order, right? That's the search. That's what I'm entering into a search engine. My content, the P, one of the first tutorials that I wrote on SparkFun comes up alternating current versus direct current. Um, that was, I believe the first or second tutorial I ever wrote for SparkFun. And that's now the top hit on Google because it answers that question. Now, if you ask that a different way, like what is alternating current? Um, you're going to get a different result because Google sees the intent differently based on how I wrote both the title as well as uh, that intro paragraph. And I don't know if AC versus DC is the thing that people search for most. I didn't understand SERP at the time, but that did very well in search engine performance. Um, just because that way, you know, it's, it's a long article. It describes, not necessarily fully, but in good detail, the, that answering that question of, Hey, Google, what is AC versus DC? And Google understands the intent of like, oh, this long article is trying to answer that question. So it's going to give you that as a first result. Um, so that would be evergreen content. Uh, whenever I wrote a, say, a tutorial for a product, that tutorial only lasted as long as that product was, uh, was popular or continued to sell or SparkFun manufactured it. As soon as SparkFun stopped manufacturing a particular product, that piece of content kind of died with it if that makes sense. Yeah. So when you're, when you're talking about evergreen content, 
you want to create stuff that you like think about like writing a Wikipedia article, right? Like like that kind of in depth. You know, you don't have to go to that degree sometimes, but if you when you search for things, like just pick a topic in general. Like what is psychology? Like type in what is psychology. Wikipedia is going to be one of your top hits. So the more you structure it kind of like Wikipedia and answering a question about some something somebody may have, that's going to be your best bet for creating evergreen content. Is it a lot of work? Yes. It is, but we're talking about content that will continue to drive traffic to your site for years. Um, like that AC versus DC article last, last when I checked last time I was at SparkFun when I was still working there, that was pulling in maybe close to a million hits a year. Wow. Um, and we just don't see it, right? And but you got to keep in mind that's such a broad topic that you know ninety nine percent of those people would like, oh, I understand AC versus DC, and then they jump off SparkFun. They're not interested in purchasing anything from Spark. Yeah. So yeah. when you get into creating this evergreen content, you have to think about what your niche is. You don't want to, right? If if I'm going to be selling a host adapter or pick your pick your product of choice, whatever you're working on, you don't want to write what is electricity. Um, that's right. That doesn't really fit into your business model. You're going to be wasting a lot of time answering these basic questions. You might write the best article on what is electricity, but the people who are going to read that are going to be such a beginner level that they're probably not going to care what a host adapter is. You got to think mm -hmm. about where your niche is. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, you know, let's take our, our, our friend Jonathan here. What is, what is a host adapter? So something he may want to consider answering is what is a host adapter, right? That's a piece of content. That's a blog post, a tutorial that can, you know, you just say, what is a host adapter? And you write a long piece of article on that. And then you employ all of your good SEO techniques to make that rank more highly. And then you use SERP, to measure how well your page, what is a host adapter does when somebody searches for what is a host adapter. That makes sense. And by the way, in case anyone's wondering what is a host adapter, you should listen to episode five of Hello Blink Show. <laughs> we spoke with Jonathan Giorgino of, of Vino Electronics, uh, and that is who we're referring to. Yes, which is why we are we are using him as kind of our, our you know, both both a guinea pig and you know, we're gonna pick on him a little bit, you know, even though he's not here. Um, because he's new, he's developed this product. It's really cool. He's trying to get some of this marketing up and running. And one of the things is understanding how SEO and SERP can play into your marketing strategy. Exactly. And why I think it's super important. And, you know, the other thing is it takes time. You have to be super patient with this. You write an article. When I write an article for my site, right, I write something like really basic, like STM32, how do you use C++? Hmm. It like it might take months for Google to realize that that's there, like index it because my my site is not really well known in the Google realm, right? There's there's a uh, like a site ranking that Google trusts that like looks more and indexes more sites. Like Wikipedia is ranked one of the highest sites because it's updated so often. It's got known good content. There's lots of backlinks to it, and so anytime there's a new or new article or changes to a Wikipedia article. Google indexes that almost immediately. And so that gets reflected and pushed into those search results uh, pages. Whereas if I write something, Google's going to take its slow time to index my site. And then it might take, I mean, I, I watched some of my pages when I write something about like an STM32, like here's a trick with STM32. It might take six months. I've seen it up to six months for that to reach first page of Google results. So if you, you know, if you sit down today and write 
five or six articles that you're going up, you're like, I'm going to tackle this SERP thing and we're going to get our pages indexed and we're going to be awesome. One of the biggest lessons I learned with SERP is you have to be patient. Um, you write a bunch of articles and then don't expect results for six months. Like it is a long, long process, right? There's that old Chinese proverb of, you know, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? Well, when's the second best time to plant a tree today? But understand that it's going to take time to reap those benefits. It's not like I run an ad and then see ROI immediately, or I appear on a news article or a podcast and see results. Those are great things. I'm not saying you shouldn't do those, but those don't, you know, you appear on a podcast that podcast episode goes out and you've got maybe a month when you see like an uptick in some of your site traffic or purchases. And then it kind of fades because, you know, people stop listening to that as opposed to writing evergreen content or creating, creating like evergreen videos, writing evergreen content. And people just keep coming back to that over and over and over again, because you're answering some important value. You're providing value. You're providing some level of usefulness to your audience. Yep. And now there are ways with organic uh, content, media content, to get more value over that over the long term. So uh, this guy I follow on Twitter, um, he talks a lot about distribution. So creating the content is important, but distributing the content is also important. Well, so let's say you end up doing a podcast. If you embed that in an article, you could increase your time on page. You can basically reuse the time that you spent in the past talking through these concepts and maybe round out some of the description that you're doing um, in, you know, in written word in the, in the blog post. So that's one thing to think about as well is if, if you do something like with ads, you can't rerun the ad. Now you can reuse the ad and like pay for it in the future, but, but you can't run it twice on Facebook. You, if, unless you pay for it twice. Uh, so there are ways to, if there's content that you're creating outside of your site that you have the ability to reuse, um, that's one way, that's another way to potentially support this type of strategy as well. Yeah. And you bring up a good point too, because I, I get a lot of people come to me and they're, and they see the things that I've done for SparkFun. They're like, Oh, you know, we we're standing up this site, you know, we're, we're, you know, just breaking into the American market. We, we created this product and we want to pay you to do videos for us. And my response is almost First of all, I ask them a bunch of questions. Like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to do this? Who's your audience? Blah, 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 blah. Like, I ask them all these questions. And my response always, almost always ends up being kind of the same is, you don't want my services, which is a hilarious thing to tell somebody um, when, you're, when you're trying to like run as a freelance. When you, and, and it's, you don't want my services, not because I don't think I'm good at what I do, but because I think you're going to spend a lot of money to pay me for video that's not going to produce the results that you are looking for. And video is my favorite medium. I prefer to do video. I like it. I have fun with it. It is very, very time consuming to create video content and to create good video content. I don't consider my video content to be great compared to some of the, you know, really good YouTubers out there. I'd love to be there, but I think I do a decent job of like explaining concepts, sewing some basic stuff. You know, I'd love to get an animator um, who helps me with some things because right now all of my stuff is like PowerPoint. That's like my diagrams were PowerPoint. And for my audience, it does well enough. Um, but the way I see it is video content, unless I'm a YouTuber and I create content as my primary means and I want people to come to my YouTube channel and subscribe so that I can run ads to make money off of that, right? That is a self-generating kind of thing, right? I am in the YouTube community. I'm a YouTuber and YouTube is my primary product. This, this content, my, my video, or you know, choose your video or podcast platform. 
Um, you can also substitute podcast for, for video, right? Like we're doing this podcast primarily as its own thing. But if somebody comes to us and like, oh, we want you to do a podcast episode about blah, blah, blah. Same idea, right? I can create video content and explain concepts, show things. But to me, that's still going to be like a cherry on top of your ice cream sundae, right? I can give you a bunch of cherries. You don't have an ice cream sundae. And if you want to break it down to your different layers, I consider written content to be the ice cream. Your blog posts, I mean, at this, at this day and age, right? Who knows? Google may, in 10 years, Google may be all video content and audio. I don't know what that looks like 10, 5, 10 years from now. But right now, Google still prioritizes written content because it's easier for its search algorithm to figure out what's in that content because of written work. Technology is getting better at figuring out audio. We're getting there with, with machine learning, natural language processing, and begun, being able to understand human speech. But for right now, written content still reigns supreme. So if you don't have good written content for evergreen stuff, my videos are, only, are, are not going to be great. They will serve to drive traffic to YouTube. But what I have found is most people don't go watch a YouTube video and then bounce out to something else. You need to give them a reason to do that as opposed to bringing them directly into your site where you have control over what they see. You can easily pop up things to say, subscribe to our newsletter, which gives you more control um, over what kind of content somebody sees. You can more easily direct them with links because right now to direct somebody with links in YouTube, it has to be in the description. Um, you can do like one link that pops up in a video somewhere of like, oh, check out the site here. And it's like, you have to be an affiliate with YouTube for your own site to make that happen. So you're very limited what you can show to link. And, or if you, sorry, if you do it in the description, you can link wherever you want in the description, but it's buried. Somebody has to click read more to see it. And so you're super involved in the, in the video because Google wants to sell you ads. Google doesn't care that you're trying to make money on the thing. They want to sell you ads to watch the YouTube video. So they want you to stay involved in video content where you want to pull somebody off and ultimately go to a product or a service. So YouTube's actually a fairly poor place to poor place to advertise for your own stuff. You can do it. It just it's not really great with the whole Google system when somebody searches for things. And you know, I get excited if one of my videos ever makes it to 100,000 views as opposed to something on SparkFun where like one of the things I wrote in blog form or tutorial form like gets a million views a year because it was better SEO and people are searching for that on Google. Yeah. And I think when people look at those ads on YouTube, you know, if you, you start to realize that there are different types of companies advertising, car insurance companies, car companies, consumer packaged goods, movies, you know, like main, like blockbuster, Hollywood movies. Um, where they're playing a different game than you are as someone who's starting a new business. Um, like I'm working on a project, uh, a CRM project called Intro CRM. And sure, it's basically it's going to be a CRM, customer relationship management tool to uh, manage sales. Uh, and it's different than what you would expect in terms of like, I'm not really directly competing against Microsoft, even though they make Microsoft Dynamics, which has a CRM. Like I'm not competing against Apple, which is a big technology company. Like I'm competing primarily against spreadsheets and things like that. So, you know, in terms of the content I'm going to be making and how I'm thinking about it, like Salesforce has a big building in San Francisco. That's great. Like they get tons of impressions for that. Mark Benioff writes big checks and owns Time Magazine. Like, okay. 
You know, like I, I'm not comparing the the work that I'm going to be doing spreading the word about this to those companies because they're just operating at this like whole different level. And like in the beginning, you need traction. There's this concept that's been going around of like having a thousand paying fans. If you can have a thousand people paying you to do something that you like doing, you are sort of have this independence to create whatever you want. And I think in the beginning, that's what you're looking for. You want to find like-minded people who have similar problems to what you're trying to solve. And this type of content helps you do that. And if you compare yourself to the types of advertising that you see big brands doing, you're just always going to feel like you're coming up short because you are. Those ads cost a ton of money to make. Like it doesn't make sense to compare how you're getting the word out versus how they're getting the word out because you're playing a different game, different time horizon, different budgets. And uh, it just doesn't make sense to it's, it's apples and zebras. Cars. Right? Cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just totally different things. Um, so, so let's, let's look at your CRM thing. If you don't mind us breaking that down. No, CRM let's do project. it. So, um, First of all, quick description. What is CRM? So yes, knows. yes, yes, totally. Yeah. Oh man, you give me a taste of my own medicine. I got you at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, CRM is customer relationship management software. Um, well, yeah, it is software, and um, basically, uh, businesses use it to ma- manage their relationships with their customers, uh, manage deals, and manage tasks and work associated with doing those deals. There's there's different types of CRMs. Um, and sometimes they're built for like specific industries. Like if you're running a marina or something, uh, or, you know, you run uh, certain types of businesses or other times they're built for like different company sizes. So other times they're built for like philosophies. So like a HubSpot is built on the philosophy of inbound marketing. So their whole like tooling and workflow is ultimately built on an idea, an opinion that they have about where customers come from. Um, so there's lots of different ways that CRMs are built. It's like a very, very big market with lots of different players and lots of different companies coming at the, a big problem in lots of different ways. And that's you. CRM, I think, is super important. And we should have an episode on CRM at some point because I don't care how big or small you are. You should understand CRM. And it could be any, anything from you know, using Salesforce or using your tool or keeping stuff in a spreadsheet, or if you're more broad, just understanding like who generally your audience is, right? It can be in your head, but CRM is a thing and it is important. We should do a whole episode on that at some point. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, the question, like everyone is managing relationships with their customers. The question is like, are you using a tool for it or not? Are you just like keeping it in your head? And if you're using a tool for it, is it the right tool? Is it a spreadsheet? Like you said, is it OneNote? Is it sticky notes everywhere. A client of mine, uh, you know, uh, she's been in sales for a long time. She worked for Yahoo in the nineties. The system that they had is that basically they had folders for a folder for each day of the month. And they would put the, basically like on the first day of the month, she'd pull up the first day of the month folder and then check in with all of those customers and then put it back in second day of the month, same thing. And then if she needed to do something on the 15th, she'd put a piece of paper in the 15th for the following month. And then when she got to that day, she would go through it. And I was like, you know what, that's actually a really good system. That makes a ton of sense. And when you consider, you know, how far back this was like that, that's pretty, pretty nifty, pretty slick. So as long as you know, as long as you're using a tool to keep track of your customers, because that's where you get your money from, you know, as long as you're using something, uh, then you're good. Yeah. So, okay, we've got an understanding of CRM and I hope you don't mind us workshopping here a little bit, but it's a great example of you're trying to create this tool, trying to get people to use it, you know, hopefully turn it, I'm assuming like a subscription model. And so you understand that you're not trying to compete with Salesforce. So you, you, 
you come to this idea of like, okay, I need to create content around this. I need people to learn about it. You know, you can run ads, you can do social media, you can do all these like normal outbound marketing techniques, but you're like, okay, where do I start with inbound marketing? What do I start writing about to get people knowing that my product, my service exists? So one of the things that um, I often tell people is you're creating a product, you know, the chances that it's like something super brand new that solves some crazy problem is very limited. It's probably going to be, I'm not going to say necessarily a derivative work, but in the same space as somebody else, maybe somebody much bigger than you, but you're trying to do something in a unique way. you're, You're attacking some niche that the bigger company is not attacking, or you're trying to combine something, right? Like maybe you're doing CRM for electrical engineers and you and you, you know, tie together some some concepts that like Salesforce just doesn't even care about because it's such a long tail small thing for them that you've niched to this point. And one of the things that I say is, okay, you you understand your niche. You're like, I do I do X, Y, and Z, where Salesforce or Amazon they don't do this, and which means that you're solving a problem. So your your you know your first big content, your first big SERP push should be. What problem am I solving for my customers that they're having with this other thing, which means that they're probably going to at least be some small subset of people who search for that on Google. You want your site to be number one when people search for that thing. So to ask you, what does your CRM product do that Salesforce cannot do? Or what is your niche? Why would people use it over signing up for some monstrosity like Salesforce? <laughs> so the main thing that I'm looking for is that it it's for entrepreneurs and freelancers. Like it's the tool that I want. So I've been using CRMs for over a decade uh, in a variety of different sales and marketing and management roles. So I'm like very familiar with the landscape. I've used tons of different softwares and they all fundamentally are kind of built on the premise that Salesforce was built on decades ago, which was the idea of selling more seat licenses. As a company grows, your tool grows with them. And so they'll have room to grow with it. But the needs at the very, very beginning are different than the needs when you have 10 or 20 people in sales or 100 people in sales. And so my goal is to focus on something that's very useful in the beginning. And if a company is, if it's a freelancer and they only want to work with themselves, maybe, or an attorney or a CPA, maybe that it will be good for them. Maybe they won't outgrow it. So it's a simple CRM that's privacy friendly. Um, I don't, I'm just not interested in building something that does all the tracking and things like that. Um, And the third part of it is customer development. And this is where I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity. A lot of CRMs implicitly assume that you know who your customers are and you just need this tool to keep track of them. You know what your pipeline is. You just need this tool to keep track of it. Um, and most of them have like a Kanban style boards where you slide deals from left to right. Um, but I think that the, a tool that assists with customer development and helps you think about your future opportunities and who you're keeping in touch with in a way that's, um, assistive and, and, and displaying these things in different ways that don't assume that you know everything. Um, I think it will be really helpful in the beginning when you're defining who are your customers, what are they buying? Why are they buying it? Um, Instead of that just being one field of like which product are they interested in or something like that. Um, I think that that's like a whole workflow that deserves separate space. And in the beginning, that is the best use of your time. And then once you identify the trends, then you're ready to 
build a whole process and scale up around that. But in the very beginning, it's like, what am I even doing? Who am I even selling to in the first place? So that yeah. the, the, that's broadly speaking, kind of the types of problems I feel like um, I want to solve. And honestly, I want to use this tool in the client work that I'm doing because I keep seeing the same problem over and over again, the last year and a half of working on my own. And at first I thought it was the different companies I worked for. Or I thought maybe I wasn't experienced enough, but I keep seeing it. So I think that it's a bigger problem than, uh, than just me or, or a handful of companies I'd worked with in the past. Cause I'm seeing it a bunch now. Yeah, that makes sense. So for you considering like, you know, you know, your niche, right? You're, you, you want people from the beginning. So, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can do this right now. I, I have not done this yet. So if I'm going to type CRM startup, right? We'll Somebody do it live. Who, yeah. I'm doing it live right now. CRM startup. Okay. Like, five ads, um, crm.org, 18 best CRMs for startups. So there's a bunch of lists out there. Um, so you'd have to, if you were going to say, you know, the SERP keywords that I'm going for is CRM startups, right? Whatever, choose your keywords. So CRM startups, there's a bunch of articles written about lists. So that's one thing to consider is like, I'm going to write something that recommends other CRMs and maybe throw your own in there. Um, however, CRM for startups, pipe drive, uh, HubSpot's on here. Of course it is. Finding the best CRM for you. So this would be a tough one. What is the best? So there's a Quora. What is the best CRM for a startup slash business? So there is potential here to list your own product as something that is, you know, we are a CRM for startups, right? And then write some things about there that like what sets you apart from larger CRMs. So there is potential for you to get in there using CRM startup um, for that. The other thing that I like to do is use Neil Patel's Uber Suggest, one of my favorite tools. So I'm going to go in here and I'm going to write CRM startup into Neil Patel's Uber Suggest and take a look at what his site lists. And he's going to give me some, some numbers, some, some general rankings of how CRM startup compares to other similar keywords like CRM entrepreneur, CRM business, CRM small business, um, and then kind of like search volume over time. Okay. CRM startup ranks similarly with the number of volumes, the number of volume, best CRM for startup, CRM startup, CRM for startup, best CRM startup. So it looks like there are a good number of people, 260 searches per month is kind of what it looks like, give or take. Um, I don't know how much I trust these absolute numbers, but it's good for relative. The cost per click is very, very, very high, which means that if you were to run an ad for CRM startup, you're going to pay a lot of money, $30 per click for CRM startup. So this is a good space that you may want to consider evergreen content in because there's a number of articles that you'd compete with. You'd have to beat those in terms of better content and SEO. Um, but that's a much cheaper way to do that than running um, an, a, a traditional ad on Google because you're going to pay a lot of money for that. $3 per click is insane. Um, and then it gives you a whole bunch of other ideas like keyword ideas. So that's one area you can focus on. Because CRM startup is such a broad area, it probably wouldn't be one article or one page. This is where you get into the idea of pillar content. And that's kind of this thing that HubSpot's been pushing about how Google ranks various pages or pillar content, which is one very important piece and then other pieces of content that link to it and relate to it. And it's, it's a way to give yourself backlinks, even though they're not really backlinks. And that is when somebody else links to your site Google ranks that very highly to say, oh, somebody else is referencing your site. So other people consider your site important. It's kind of like word of mouth where, you know, somebody on a forum, somebody on another page says, oh, go check out this page written by Harris about, you know, CR good CRMs for startups. Um, 
Google then says, oh, there's these backlinks from these other sites. So Harris's page must be really good content because other people reference it. So rather than waiting for backlinks or paying for backlinks or, or nudging people to give you backlinks, you can kind of backlink yourself within your site. It's not ranked as highly, but it's a way to kind of not necessarily cheat the system, but it's saying like, I'm creating a grouping of content. So you might want to have like, what's a good what's a good CRM for freelance or what's a good way to do free CRM for yourself? What's what's uh, good for small businesses? What's good for entrepreneurs? What's good for um, people in the tech industry or people who are doing services, right? You create, you know, five or six different articles at very least. And they all kind of link together. And then the real one you want people to land on is what's a good CR, what does a good CRM look like for a startup? Like that might be one, your pillar page. And then all these kind of smaller blog articles relate to each other and point back to that pillar page because that's where you want people to land because ultimately that's where you want people to click through to say, oh, this is a site that I'm on that also sells a CRM service. So they seem trustworthy. They've written all these articles. They've provided value to me. I've built trust with them over time. Let's check out their pricing information. And then I start, then I'm in the next stage of that funnel. I've gone from, I'm learning about CRM for startups and now I'm in pricing them out and comparing features, right? And that's where this content, you want people to go from learning about reading your content to pricing it out. And once they get to that stage, that's a different conversation, right? That is how well you built your product, how good's your pricing model, how good's your service. That's not, you're no longer top of funnel. You know, somebody's moved from top of funnel to that next stage in the content, whether they've signed up for a newsletter because they want to learn more or they're checking out prices because they're actually interested in buying. So that's what you want to measure when you're at that point of, of who's clicking through to see prices, right? That's a different conversation than how do you attract people from Google to, to your site to begin with? That's top of funnel. Yep. And then as we move down the funnel, really, you know, we're talking about conversion rates, right? Mm -hmm. So yep. X people are landing and then they're clicking from here to there. So what's that percentage of people? And and you kind of work your way down and then, okay, of the people who see the pricing page, how many sign up for a free trial or click to contact sales or, you know, whatever that call to action is on the pricing page. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I hope this has answer, helped answer the question of like, what do you write about? How do you do well doing SERP um, to rank more highly? And how do you pick topics? Um, you know, hit, have an idea, like figure out who your niche is, who your audience is. Like you said, for you, it's like people who are just starting out with CRM. Um, for somebody like Jonathan with, with Vino, so he sells a host adapter, right? So if I type host adapter, that seems broad enough, but it's one of those, like, you kind of have to be an electrical engineer to know what a host adapter is to begin with. And so I type host adapter and like there's an Amazon thing where it sells it. Um, Computerhope.com defines a host adapter. There's PC Mag defines it. And then I guess his biggest competitor is Total Phase, which makes a host adapter, which is what he's competing with because he's selling a ideally a cheaper, better version of what Total Phase makes in their host adapter. So you have to, he has to compete with what is a host adapter on Total Phase's blog. That's his direct competitor. So if we click on that and look at that, it's, it's an article that's maybe a thousand words, but no pictures. I'm like, he can crush this. Just spend some time writing what is a host adapter on his page, throw in some pictures, make sure it's you know at least 1200 words, do all your good SEO things. Um, and I can go through those in just a minute here. If like, you just want a broad overview of what's good SEO, but there's lots of topics about what's good SEO. And he should be able to crush this. Now, when he puts it out there, he might have to wait six months, 
but he could probably do something that ranks higher than his direct competitors. What is a host adapter page? And that's, that's going to be your pillar content right there. Now let's take a step back, uh, both either using Jonathan's example with Vino or using intro CRM or something else using intro CRM as a reference. So there's entrepreneurs or freelancers who maybe don't know what CRM is. Maybe they're solving or a- asking questions sort of even before you know you need a CRM. Similarly with Bino, maybe you don't know what a host adapter is, but you are a firmware engineer. Maybe you're working with like a protocol like OneWire or something like that. And you're asking questions around a topic, but you you haven't necessarily named the solution or what you believe to be the solution yet. Where, you know, where you're kind of like fumbling in the dark of, you know, and maybe, you know, I've seen this where you like land or you're landing on like stack overflow pages where you're watching people like troubleshoot, trying to like make things work and workarounds and, and sort of just trying to force the wrong solutions or the wrong technologies to do something when there's actually something out there to solve the problem. So how do you, how do you think about content like earlier in the consideration process before they've even named maybe the problem or even the solution. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, are you asking like, should you do write articles? Like what is a host adapter? Yeah. And like, yeah, like, but let's say like they don't even, yeah, like, but they don't even know what a host adapter is. So they might not even type anything that might land them on that. Right. Oh, right. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, how do you think about that? Especially if you're doing something that's like different and new and you're trying to catch people earlier in the process of doing research before they know I I want, before they even know the phrase host adapter. So, you know, John, in this case, maybe it's a, uh, a student or maybe it's someone where English is a second language. So they just like, haven't heard that term before, but they know everything around it and they know what it is. They just maybe, or, or maybe it's just a firmware engineer that's just never used one and they're getting like a new project or a new assignment that their company's never done before. And now they have to figure out like, okay, how the heck do I get these two things to talk to each other? And then all of a sudden they're looking it up, even if they've been an engineer for 20 years or whatever. I I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to show my ignorance is before we talked to Jonathan and he told us about host adapters. I didn't know what they were called. I knew there were devices that you could plug into your computer and script to do various bus calls like spy and I squared C. I just didn't know they were called a host adapter. So once I learned that, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's a host adapter. So I think what is a host adapter is a great pillar page if somebody's searching for that. And then some of your ancillary ones are answering the questions like you said, like they don't know what it's called, so you need to define it. So what you may want to do is, uh, how would you do this? I would start I would start with going asking what is a host adapter, right? And then you look that up and it's like, oh, it's a thing that allows you to automate bus protocols. So, okay, so let's go to Google and I'm going to type automate bus protocols, right? I, I don't know. I'm just kind of fumbling around now. Uh, automation protocols. It's like, no, that's not quite right. So then maybe I land on something like Stack Overflow where somebody's like, hey, how can I automate spy? Like, okay, now I'm getting more specific of somebody is automating spy, right? Uh, automate spy testing. Oh, here we go. Bus spy on PLC Arduino from industrial shields. How to automate your business to save time. That's not quite right. That's a course. Automate programming spy EE proms. So now I'm kind of narrowing down what people might be searching for when they don't know the term host adapter. So then you can start to consider writing articles of how to automate spy testing or how to automate spy. Yeah. How to automate testing, how to automate 
I squared C, how to automate spy, right? How to blah, 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 blah is one of the most powerful things you can create content around because if I guarantee people are using Google to search how to do things. And if you can nail kind of that, that topic, that title of how to do X, make sure that people, you know, go to Uber suggest and type in how to do automated spy testing and then narrow kind of figure out what people are searching for that becomes your title. And then in that article, you can, what I recommend is giving people ways to do it. Like, Oh, you know, you can do it with an Arduino. You know, you can create an Arduino program to do it. By the way, there's also this thing called a host adapter. And then you link to that pillar page to let people know what a host adapter is. Yeah. So I think you, I think that is a very important part um, of doing that. So for you, you might want to consider defining what is CRM. Now, that's a much bigger space. You're going to compete with sales forces. What is a CRM page? And that's going to be very hard to beat um, because yeah. they have, you know, huge teams of marketing that are creating this content who understand this and are doing that. So if I go, what is CRM into Google's right now? First page, Salesforce, who would have guessed? <laughs> you know, beautiful page, pictures, videos, you know, all the cherries and, 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 you know, nuts and hot fudge on top of this Sunday because they have teams of people who have created this content, right? It's super hard to compete with that. So which is where you have to consider, you know, niching some of this. But, you know, you may be happy with like, you know what, if I'm, you know, Zoho also wrote one. Now, Zoho is a pretty big uh, email provider and they have, you know, a good looking page, but theirs is mostly cherries and not a lot of ice cream. <laughs> There's a lot of like, so you might be able to write a better article than Zoho, but probably not better than Salesforce. You just don't have the resources to create something that Salesforce has made. Well, Sean... It's a good thing I'm not sensitive because <laughs> no. And like, of course, right. I mean, in what world? I mean, there's just no way. There's no way. Yeah. You can't think, you know, you have to set your expectations at the proper level. Yes. Right. You're not Salesforce, so you can't do that. Um, uh, Jonathan can probably compete with Total Face when he talks about, because Total Face makes other USB things. They're not just creating host adapters where Jonathan has niched that to just host adapter. And he has a chance to just destroy their content to be better than them. So like somebody who's just starting with CRM probably doesn't have the resources to compete directly with Salesforce, but you can either take niche topics within that, or you can answer it and go, you know what? I would be happy in the eighth spot on the first page of Google results sure. and take that for what it is. Sure. And I think something too to think about just think, taking a step back from the specifics of business competition, you know, just like from like the evolution, like competing ideas, like, you know, the, the Nova, which is Bino's host adapter, it really does solve some pretty specific problems well, because that's what they do. And I'll, I mean, I, I mentioned this in the past episode, I'll mention this again today. I've worked with Bino in the past. I've, I'm working with them now on some stuff um, just as a client. So just kind of full disclosure, but they, you know, they really understand this problem. And so because they've focused on it, the product itself performs that job well, and therefore their content can also reflect that. So the, like the, if you're a technical founder and you put a lot of time into making something and you believe your product is differentiated, the question is just, are you going to take the time to tell that story through content so that people can realize what you've already done? And I think that's when you have that, overlap in the Venn diagram, that's when this strategy is the most effective versus if you're selling something that's commoditized, like if you want a Colorado t-shirt, 
and you just look that up on the internet, you know, I mean, there's like lots of those, right? Like, unless you've like done something really specifically Colorado about this shirt that it's made from hemp from a Colorado farm and you know, whatever, the governor of Colorado signs the tag on the inside of the shirt, you know, you can use these strategies, but you're only going to get so far. But if you can, if you've done the product work, and this is my product bias, if you've done the product work already, and then you tell the story so that when people land there, and then you, they get back to your pillar page or they get to your product page and they, oh yeah, this is for me. They really thought about this. You can really, I think, wow people and get their interest. But if they get there and then it's just like, it feels like it's just like everything else, you're going to be limited in your effectiveness. But I think that's where Jonathan is really unique. I hope to achieve something similar uh, with intro CRM where I think for people who understand that and the customers who get, they're thrilled about the product. Because it, it was made for them and your content should also be made for them. Uh, and I think the cool thing about this strategy overall is that there can be many, many companies out there. There doesn't have to be just one company solving every problem. You just have to solve a certain problem for certain people and other companies are solving other problems for other people. It's not a winner takes all dynamic. Yeah. I, and you, you bring up an amazing point about you, you have to have a good product. I assume that a lot of times, but I know a lot of people who are like, oh, I've got this product idea and we just need to market it. I'm like, no, you have a garbage product idea. No amount of polishing that turd is going to make it not a turd. <laughs> there, there were a number of times in SparkFun where I was given a garbage product to, to try to market. And I'm like, I will make content because you're my boss and you're telling me to make content, but I'm not going to magically sell a turd. I can't do it. I cannot do it because as soon as people get this in their hands, they're going to realize they bought a turd. And <laughs> and to me, that kind of come that that's a bit of unethical marketing. Totally. I, I I refuse to when if I make content about something, I will try to show like what it's good for, what it is, and I might try to point out like, hey, you might run into some problem areas with this, but I can't get on camera and be like, look at this amazing thing. It doesn't do all the stuff you want it to do because it's a freaking turd. <laughs> I, I can't I just can't do like not even like ethically I just mean like like word of mouth will get out pretty quickly that you are selling a turd now let's talk about briefly and not literally types of turds so <laughs> and I'm obviously preparing to have a child I'm thinking a lot about diapers so you know you've got like a product that like literally doesn't work right it doesn't do what it says it's gonna do where it's it's Either the features literally don't exist, or maybe the quality is low. Maybe the price is very high relative to the performance of it. Um, there's lots of ways in which a product can like not stack up. And yep. maybe your product isn't perfect when it ships, but if you talk about the constraints, if you say, hey, here's what we do right now, and this is what we want to do in the future, you can get away with that, but you have to be open about it. And you can't say, this product is perfect. Because if people get a close look at it, they'll say, no, it's not. But if you say, hey, this product is perfect at doing this one thing, and in the future we want to do more things, I've, you know, I watched Hey, the launch of the email service, Hey, there was a bunch of features that Hey does not do that other email clients do. And you could even say do do to stay within our theme here of turd. Um, and <laughs> You know, but people were understanding of that because they look, this is a bootstrap company. They want to take this in other directions in the future, further in the future. Um, these are the basic things that it does right now. And I'm, I'm investing as a customer in the values of this product. 
and where they want to take it in the future. And so you can put content around that. And you can even put content around saying, the product does not do this right now. And here's why. But here's what we want to do next. And if you become a customer of ours, and if you join our community, if you join our developer community, if you, you know, pay for our stuff, you will help us make that pave the runway for that future in which there are better products like this. I think of a lot of the companies that are in the Linux space doing Linux software, Linux hardware, saying like, look, is this on parity with a Windows or a Mac machine across the board? Definitely not. Obviously not. But we're getting there and you can do these things better. If you invest in this ecosystem, we can do more things better in the future. So I think if your content has to reflect reality. So if you have a good product, not a perfect product, your content has to reflect where the product is today. And if it doesn't do everything, that's, I think if you allude to it and talk about the roadmap in the future, you can get people there and they won't just land on the page and say, oh, this is annoying. This isn't what you said it was. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to derail too much into you know, making a good product and figuring out features and whatnot, because that is several episodes that we can chat about. I, I will say to get into the thing you're talking about of like making sure you're creating something that offers some unique ability to a specific audience. Um, one of the best books that I have read on that is The Innovator's Dilemma. Um, and I will recommend that if you're interested about like, oh, I'm making a product, like I'm making a host adapter. Well, that one's, that one's still pretty niche. You're competing with like two other people in the market or CRM software, right? Let's talk about CRM software because you're competing with a lot of giants in that, in that area. Um, the Innovator's Dilemma is a fantastic book that kind of gets you into the mindset of like, how can I subvert this industry? So I will recommend that um, we should come back at some point and chat about creating niche products and how you, you know, define feature sets. And the idea of like creating an MVP and then learning from sorry, a, a minimum viable product and learning from, you know, your early customers about what you need to do and doing that fast, right? That's the idea of like fail fast or fail early. Um, it's really getting something out there, getting feedback and adjusting to create a better product. Absolutely. And, and doing iteratively doing content along the way. And that's like yes. part of what we're talking about here. You know, if, if your content is fail fast, or if your product is like that, your content should be too. I've seen companies stall, 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 stall on content, and things are constantly getting caught in editorial review. And there's 70 managers that need to weigh in on something and stuff never ships stuff never goes live on the website. Every day you delay on creating content, your competitors are creating content. People are helping answer these questions. Question is, do you want to be participating in that and building your presence online or not? Because other people are doing it for you, either towards their own products or even for your own products in ways that you may not want. Yeah. And and I hear this all the time of like, you know, oh, I built a product. So what do I need to do to market it? I'm like, you've already screwed yourself. Yeah. I mean, and you always say this. You always say start marketing from day one. Yeah. You can, if you know that you're building CRM in, in a perfect world, like, right, you have your time to consider, right? Do you work on product or do you work on marketing content? Or do you hire somebody to help with that, right? It's, there's always a trade-off. Um, there are some things, you, there are some minor things you can be doing in the meantime of like, oh, I can create a social media account and just kind of micro blog about what I'm working on and build a following that way. Like that's fa fairly simple and easy and you can kind of build a following. But to create some of these, you know, larger pillar content, your evergreen content, they take time and investment to do it. Um, but ideally you would kind of do both. Like, like let's write one or two big pieces of content while I'm developing this so they can start getting indexed as large pillar content down the road because I know I'm going after this audience. You know, that could be two pages that you do mm. as, as on your site um, and let those start getting indexed and start getting some traction because you're trying to answer these questions and you want, you want an audience to be there 
when you launch the product is in the ideal world. Um, definitely also recommend Content Inc. They talk about netbook, they talk about building an audience first through content, then selling a product. And a lot of them are like build an audience and then use that audience to develop your, your product or get feedback as you're developing. Um, but the idea is you should be developing content from day one, regardless of what that content is. Um, you know what, I'm gonna scratch that statement. You should be clear about what your content is because I can write about ponies on my blog all day, but if I go to sell a host adapter, it's not gonna help me if I've got a you know pony fan following of all these people who are expecting something horse related and that's not what I give them. <laughs> so <laughs> at least have so you don't need to know exactly what your product is, but you kind of have an idea of like, oh, I'm developing CRM. So you can start developing some of the content. Like, what is CRM? What's the best CRM for startups? Right? You can start having these ideas as you're developing this. Um, just don't expect, you know, this big following right away. That just doesn't happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a long episode, but I feel like we're covering a ton. I, I think this is a really, really important topic. And I think that for a small company, this can be a differentiator for you over the long term, especially if you get to like those long, longer tail search terms and intent based search terms, especially if you've spent a lot of time thinking about the problem you're solving. I think it's worth taking the time to go deep on this topic. I'm glad we've gone through this so thoroughly so far. Yeah, I mean, and there's still there's still lots we can cover for like, like, you know, I, I barely touched on what's what are good SEO practices, we can chat about that. But there's a ton of content on there. I just think SERP is highly lacking when you want to consider you, you apply SEO to your page or to your site to make it rank highly. And then what? Um, so SERP is what keywords should I be caring about? What are people searching for that I want them to land on my site? And I generally, I use like SEO tools when I write content to make sure I'm like checking all the boxes of like, make sure it's 1200 words, make sure I've got pictures, make sure the paragraphs aren't too long. It's easy to read. You know, I'm using keywords in my title, blah, 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 blah. And then that's kind of it, right? I SEO, maybe come back every now and then and tweak it. But in reality, what I care about is if somebody searches for machine learning on a microcontroller, are they going to land on a shawneehemail.com site? And I don't know if that's the case right now because I haven't worked on a lot of content, right? I'm not taking my own advice for some of that. But some of that, they are landing on some of my videos that I've created, whether it's for myself or DigiKey. So video, you know, I'm making cherries because that's what I do for a living. But if I want to be known in that space, I need to create more written content for machine learning on microcontrollers. Just that would be a, pi a pillar page for, for myself. And so what I would do is, and I did this at SparkFun. So I was trying to get ranked for doing Python programs on Raspberry Pi because it was, it was really hard to compete with just Raspberry Pi as a keyword. And I'm going to actually search this live. Python on Raspberry Pi. Let's see... Uh, yeah, I'm like one, two, three, four, five, six. So I'm on first page. One the the article I the big tutorial I wrote for Sparkling is like number six. So it's on first page. You know, I'm not competing with RaspberryPi.org um, or apparently RealPython.com, but I got I got on first page, which is pretty good. I'm pretty happy with that, and that generated a lot of traffic into Sparkling site to ideally help us sell Raspberry Pis. That was kind of the ultimate goal there. So what I did is I ran this tool called Serposcope. Make sure I'm saying this right. Serposcope. This is a pain to set up. It's, it's like somebody's pet open source project. So yay, open source. It's really cool. I have to run it on a server. So I actually set up a Raspberry Pi, ran Serposcope on the Pi, and it just sat there. And once a day, it would just take the keywords that I entered. So like 
Python on Raspberry Pi, um, Raspberry Pi electronics, right? Like there's like two or three terms that I would search and I wanted SparkFun to rank highly in each of those. And so I ran this tool once a day, it would go out and just do a Google search for those keywords and then tell me where a SparkFun site appeared in the rankings. And it, you know, it took three months for like that article I wrote Raspberry Pi, sorry, Python and Raspberry Pi to show up at all, like within the first hundred hits. And then like three months after that, it finally got to page one. And that's how I knew I was doing well is because I could look at that score. The closer I got to number one, the better my content did overall. And I just learned to be patient with that and learn some, some techniques about, you know, doing good SEO to make those things hit. But that's the idea is you come up with like, oh, two or three kind of big overall key terms that you're going for. For you, it might be CRM for startups. For Jonathan, it might be host adapter. For me, it might be, you know, TensorFlow or machine learning on microcontrollers. Like those are the big concepts. And that's where I want my content to rank highly on. And so I start creating content around those, like a cluster of content. Let's do a quick run through the tools that you use. You mentioned Serpascope. Yep. You mentioned Uber Suggest. Yep. You mentioned Neil Patel's work just in general. Yep. He has a, He also has an SEO analyzer. So Neil Patel's site has the two that I use are an SEO analyzer. You just throw a page in there and it kind of gives you some rankings and things you need to fix. And there's also Uber Suggest, which will help you come up with titles, hmm. titles and, or general content. Okay. You're obviously um, using a word processor to write all the stuff. Um, but what yeah, are yeah. SEO specific stuff? Anything else that you tap, like in your sort of go to? And we can drop links in the show notes. Yeah. Um, I, for my personal site, I have WordPress. I, there's a plugin that I use that kind of gives me SEO. There's like a, you know, pre-flight checklist that it gives me for SEO as I'm writing content. And then when I'm done, it's like, Hey, you're missing these things. And I can either like go back and adjust them or ignore them. Like, and just understand it's going to be a hit. Um, And is that, is that Yoast SEO? I've heard of that for WordPress or is it something else? I'm going to, you're going to make me log into my WordPress site. Sorry, putting you on the spot. I I think I started with Yoast and then Yoast had some problems. Oh, good. I logged in right away. Let me check here. Uh, Plugins. Waiting for WordPress. Here we go. I'm asking for a friend (laughs) for myself because I'm very directly interested in this. Rank math SEO. I think I started with Yoast. That had problems with some version or WordPress is kind of like Linux back in the day where there's like all sorts of version mismatches and it, you're just chasing down dependencies mm-hmm. and it's a pain. Um, so I use rank math SEO Okay, is what I use. I think I started with Yoast. It had some problems. And so I'm, you know, I'm trying out rank math SEO. And, and it's just like a pre-flight checklist that kind of automates checking your page that you're working on, your blog post that you're working on. It just says you're missing these things. Yeah. Uh, I'll say my last concluding note on this general topic. In the past, I had worked for an employer um, who hired an SEO firm and uh, SEO optimization agency, basically. You know, honestly, wasn't a great experience. All the content that they were making, it just didn't ring right. Um, And it wasn't cheap. And we didn't end up really getting... we didn't end up having the long-term commitment required to do it right. And so if you're going to do this, you know, you have to be thinking long-term about your business in general and your long-term about the commitment you're making. And as a founder, as an entrepreneur, I think you have to be hands-on in the beginning and understanding what you're doing. Otherwise 
you know, all these decisions about like what pages are we making and why are we making them? They're not going to make sense unless there's like a clear strategy of like, where do we sit in the market and what are the problems we're trying to solve? I, I don't think this is something you can like 100% farm out. I'm sure there are people being, who disagree with that. Um, what do you think? That's my last like open question on this. I, I think there are some people who are getting better at it, but you got to find somebody. You've got to find somebody who is knowledgeable of your space, as well as a. You don't even have to be a great writer. You just have to be a decent writer for some of this. Um, I mean, there's there's some there's some tools we can talk about SEO stuff in another episode about like how you can make your writing better. Not that I'm a great writer, but it's just you got to know some basic stuff. Um, there are some freelancers out there who are capable of doing that, but you got to make sure they're knowledgeable about your space. Um, I don't care how great of a writer you are. If you don't understand the specific space, you're going to come across like you know nothing. And it's that's worse. Because then people will bounce and then that'll tell by bounce. They'll leave the page quickly and that'll tell the search engine, hey, this page isn't good. Correct. Not even just that, but you also lose trust with your audience. Like if you're trying mm-hmm. to build an S- or CRM tool and somebody comes and reads it and like is like no that's that, that doesn't describe what a CRM tool is this sounds awful you're going to lose trust with that audience member that you don't look like you know what you're talking about <laughs> and so i can guarantee they don't want to buy your tool if you don't look like you know what you're talking about so Absolutely. i think trust i think trust is worse than like seo or, or page bounces yeah you just it's a little harder to measure and it's not like uh you know these, these fashion and sports and hotel and car brands where you get to the end of the ad and it could have been an ad for anything. You know, it's like in these troubled times, we know that being close is what matters the most, you know, join us as we seek to get closer together. And it's like, was that an ad for deodorant or for a pickup truck or for like visiting the state of California? Like you can't be bland and then make up for it with like pretty visuals and good ad spot. Like you're the content that's in front of people speaks on its own and you can't get away with sort of like super pretty super bowl style ads and hope that people are like, yeah, this seems good to me. Yeah. I, I still find most of those ads exist in that 1960s mad men space. Um, <laughs> right. That's, that's like, what is this ad? And it's like, you know, let's make frogs sing things and it's a beer <laughs> commercial. And you're like hilarious and catchy, but what? Um, no being relevant. Um, providing utility to your audience. In fact, another book I recommend is Utility, Y-O-U-T-I-L-I-T-Y. I think I've brought this one up before. If you're curious about what kinds of content to create, that's another good one. Being useful to your audience is so important for SERP rankings. I learned a ton. I was taking notes. If you heard keystrokes in the background, it's because I was actually writing things down. Um, Sean, you're really good at this stuff. I'm excited uh, that we got into it. I'm curious what folks think. Uh, if your website's crushing it on search, let us know if you've totally bombed on search and it's not going well, let us know. Um, I think we're going to be talking about this again in the future. I think this is really important. I apologize for the super long episode that we have, but you know, we got into it. There's a lot to cover when it comes to creating good content. We're just getting started on this. Oh my goodness. There's a lot and it's changing. That's the other thing. It's a moving target. It always changes. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at Hello Blink Show. Find show notes at HelloBlinkShow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC BY 4.0 license by Skull Riza LLC and Kenny Consulting Group LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at SoundCloud.com slash Amin Maxwell slash Routine. <laughs>